0: Many of you have likely heard of the story or read The Pilgrim's Progress before. For those less familiar with this story, it tells the tale of a man named Christian and his journey going from the city of destruction to the celestial city and it details the many different trials and temptations that he faces along the way. Now he's set upon his journey by a man named Mr. Evangelist who has given him very specific instruction as to how to get to this celestial city. With a scroll, with a map and detailed instructions to not depart from the path that he's been set upon. Now one of the first trials that Christian comes upon on his journey is the Slough of Despond. And it's a swamp type land with water and mud and the going is slow and difficult and it's dangerous for there are pitfalls and holes that one might fall into and not be recovered from and, and this traveling is made all the more difficult for christian because he wears this heavy weight upon his back this burden that he is desperate to get rid of that makes traveling hard and life hard and he makes it through though by the grace of god but He's in discouragement. He's in despair and he's weary from getting through this first trial. And it's at this point in time in the story where a Mr. Worldly Wise approaches him. He asks Christian, where are you going? And Christian tells him, I'm headed towards the celestial city and I'm headed towards this path in which my burden can be released from me. And Mr. Worldly Wiseman, having somewhat some experience of where this path leads, tells Christian Christian do you really want to go on this path? I've seen many other travelers like you with similar burdens on your back go this way and, and there's lots, of, lots and lots more trials and temptations to be had in that direction if you go that way. And he, uh, Mr. Worldly Wise says, I, I actually live in a town called Morality and it's not too far off the trail over here. In in fact, there's a a gentleman named Mr. Legality who lives in my town who's an expert at removing this very burden that is upon your back that you are so desperate to rid yourself of. If you want, I can show you the way and, and you can be rid of that quick and easy and just live the rest of your life in ease and comfort in the town of morality. And Christian evaluates this option, thinks it sounds pretty good, And he leaves the straight and narrow path and starts heading towards the town of Morality. Now, he doesn't get too far when eventually he comes across this ginormous mountain that seemingly is going to consume him with fire and flames. And it's at this point he realizes, I've messed up. I've forgotten Mr. Evangelist's teaching. I've I've strayed from the narrow road and I'm on my way to destruction. What am I to do? And if it were not for the grace of God... Christian would have been destroyed for Mr. Evangelist finds him straying from the path and, and rebukes Christian, rebukes Christian for listening to this Mr. Worldly Wise and, and his deceitful instructions and promise that he might find relief from his burden elsewhere from this specific path and way. And so he corrects Christian, he sends him about the right path and eventually Christian comes to the cross on his path and it's only at this cross that his burden falls from his back and he is freed from this sin that desperately he desired to be freed from. Just as Christian was so deceived and led astray by the teaching of this Mr. Worldly Wise, so too was the Colossian church here under the oppression of this false teacher who sought to stray them from the path by informing them of different teachings of men, and not the teachings of Christ. Now, as Jeremy had laid out for us last time, Paul is on the march against this false teacher who was trying to hold the believers accountable to teachings, again, that were brought of man and not of Christ. We see this in chapter two, verse eight, that says, see to it that no one be taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, and according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. See, in this particular case, this false teacher that the Colossian church was dealing with, he was challenging the sufficiency of Christ. Specifically that the church needed Christ plus something else. And this something else happened to be plus these legalistic requirements and decrees that were according to this human teaching and tradition. Paul gives us a wonderful reminder in verses 9 through 15 in chapter 2, again, that we have been made complete In Christ, verse 10, and are no longer bound by the teachings of man. And as Jeremy helped us see last time we got together, the text highlights that our eternal life is in Christ, our forgiveness is in Christ, and our freedom is in Christ. Because we have been given all things in Christ, because we have died and been raised with Christ. And freed from the world, we therefore must now hold fast to the teachings of Christ as revealed through the Bible and not let ourselves become enslaved to the teachings of man and so be led astray. And thus we find ourselves in chapter 2 of Colossians tonight, 2.16-23, where Paul continues his attack against these false teachers. And he's seeking to help the Colossians avoid straying from the path. Paul does so... By giving us three instructions for avoiding false teaching once again within today's passage paul provides us with three instructions for avoiding false teaching the first instruction let no man act as your judge in verses 16 through 17. verse 16 says this therefore no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a sabbath day now we must Pay special attention to the therefore that starts this passage because it's intimately tying it to the passage that precedes it. Again, which I've already highlighted and noted, is talking about the sufficiency of Christ and our fullness in Him. It might be read and summarized as such that since we have been made complete in Christ and died to the world, no one is to act as your judge in this case regarding these food or drink or different days and events that people are deserving. No one is to act as your judge. In regard to teaching that is outside of the Bible. See, this false teacher here in Colossians church wasn't just criticizing them. No, he was condemning them and pronouncing God's judgment on them for how they did or did not eat. For different festivals, new moons or Sabbaths that they were or were not observing. It's, It's more or less a type of legalism. Um, of man-made rules that, that have a way of trying to measure spirituality. And again, in this particular context, in Colossians 2, 16 here, uh, these, these restrictions were Old Testament laws. Uh, again, we have been made free in Christ and are no longer bound to the things that are old, Thus, if we prescribe these Old Testament commandments as necessary for our salvation, we are discrediting the sufficiency of Christ and making it less than what it is, that our fullness of salvation is in him. Christ put an end of our need to observe the Old Testament law. Look at Romans 10, 4, which says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. These observances and laws were no longer required for salvation. And so what exactly were these rules and regulations that were being placed on the church uh, in this passage? Well, we're told food or drink. This is Old Testament dietary laws that were laid down in Leviticus 11, Deuteronomy 14. The New Testament has plenty of places and locations in scripture and texts that talk about the old having passed away and particularly for food and drink. Take Mark 7, 14 through 19. All foods are made clean. An excerpt says, Do you not understand? That whatever goes into the man from the outside cannot defile him because it does not go into his heart but into his stomach and is eliminated. See also uh, Paul's vision, uh, Peter's vision there in Acts 10 that illustrates uh, cleanliness of different types of foods. Uh, As for the festivals and new moons and Sabbath days, the, the church was being judged by this individual uh, on what types of days they were or were not observing, specifically again the Jewish festivals of Passover, Pentecost, uh, specifically Sabbath day, the holy day of rest. Uh, Paul in Galatians 4 uh, is rebuking the Galatians for a similar type of thinking here, uh, for them observing and slaving themselves to special days. For Galatians 4, 8 through 11 says, However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. Paul continues in verse 17 of describing these certain regulations and saying that these things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Again, these things he's referring to are these Old Testament rules and regulations that we just mentioned. They are a shadow. A shadow is only created based upon something that has actual substance and that substance is now Christ. Believers aren't defined by these old laws and they have no weight behind them. Again, saying that they're necessary for salvation is leaving us a slave to the old teaching. We're not asking and rejoicing in the freedom and fullness that we now have in Christ and that he is one for us now we may not be dealing with the same pressures that they were dealing with to observe the old testament rules and regulations if you guys are sacrificing animals in your backyard once a month we should probably have a talk be more than glad to but we should ask the question of how are we being tempted to give into this type of legalism where we are esteeming certain rules and regulation as a necessity for salvation or even potentially how we ourselves are judging one another for how we do or do not follow certain rules and regulations that the Bible is not clear and specific on. Consider food or drink. There's a pretty wide chasm in our culture, particularly those here at our church, as far as what Dietary priorities they stick to. Some prioritize organic foods, some don't. Does the Bible say which camp is right or wrong? It doesn't. So, for us to take the position that there is a right or wrong or that a person is in sin if they do not hold to a specific type of dietary regimen, it's wrong. Take alcohol as another example for consumption. The Bible says don't be drunk with alcohol, it doesn't say don't drink alcohol. So for people to say that you can't be a Christian, you can't be a part of a church if you are consuming alcohol, that would be to be raising it up here just as this false teacher is doing so with the Colossian church of things that uh, are not to be prioritized and focused on. Consider schooling too. Some prioritize putting your kids in the school system uh, to be able to shepherd them through that season of life. Some prioritize homeschooling their children through that stage of life as well. Does the Bible speak to which one's right or wrong? It doesn't. So we therefore should not judge one another for whichever camp you fall in and certainly we shouldn't let others judge ourselves for which camp that we fall in on whether or not we are obeying truth. And Paul's warning is clear here. Christ ultimately is sufficient for salvation and there's a danger for us to make the performance standards and rituals and bringing them up alongside of Christ as necessary for our salvation. Christ in the Word of God is our ultimate judge, and we are not to let others judge or condemn us for how we do or do not hold to teaching and commandments of men that are outside of God's Word. Therefore, let no man judge you for your observance or non observance of these legalistic requirements and regulations. This leads us to the second instruction Instruction number two, let no man defraud you your prize. Verse 18 says, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. By putting oneself under the legalistic regulations that this false teacher in the Colossians church was trying to push upon them as necessary for salvation. Again, we are enslaved to this teaching Uh, John MacArthur puts it as such, it's it's as if a heretic here assumed the role of a spiritual referee and was seeking to disqualify the Colossians for, for not abiding by their particular rules. So the commandment here for us is, don't let others take your prize by subjecting you to rules and requirements that the Bible does not prescribe as necessary for our salvation. In verse 18 and 19, give us a little bit more clarification and background to this false teacher that was afflicting and oppressing the Colossians church with this false type of teaching. Uh, The first definition here given of this false teacher to help us better understand where he's coming from, it says that this false teacher delights in self-abasement Self-abasement is used in, in various parts of scripture and oftentimes it can be used as a, as a good connotation that one is, one is full of discipline and good works and seeking to grow uh, rightly so. And the context that's used in here though is, is using to describe this false teacher as having a, a type of self-abasement that's false humility. They they are seeking to abstain from certain things and to be portraying a certain humble appearance before a wide band of people so as to attract attention to themselves and so as to be esteemed. This individual also is taking delight in the worship of angels. This is nothing less than idolatry of putting angels in the place of where only Christ belongs. We see in Matthew 4.10, you shall worship the Lord Jesus only, uh, see what happened to John when he worshipped an angel in Revelations 19.10. Then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. True angels refuse to worship God. And this false teacher was somewhat setting up a system that Christ was not sufficient to be the intermediary between man and God, which is a complete lie. That person is Christ. He is completely and fully our intermediary and mediator, as First Timothy 2.5 says. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Christ is sufficient. Begs the question, why do we seek to pray to angels or saints or to Mary for some sort of intercession for deeds we've done? If we seek to do so, we bring Christ down by saying we need something else than him to intercede on our behalf. In addition, this false teacher, you see in the text, was taking his stand on visions and things he has seen. We see in Hebrews 1, 1 through 2, that God has spoken to us through his son. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways. And in these last days he has spoken to us in his son whom he has appointed heir of all things. Through whom he also made the world. This false teacher was, was giving himself over to visions and biblical revelations. He, he would have seemed to have some sort of experience that he was esteeming and, and putting weight towards as a validation for his teaching and authority over the Colossians, All right? It's a type of beliefism that he was holding to that weighs feelings and personal intuitions more heavily than one should weigh objective truth and reality as found in the scriptures and in the Bible, Not only to this, but the text says that he was inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, which tells us that he was puffed up. He thought a lot about himself because of these experiences that he was having. Um, It it was nothing less than pride. And, And lastly, in verse 19, we get a final description here of this person. And verse 19 says, And not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. Quite plain and simple, Paul is making the point here that this gentleman was not holding on to Christ. Again, he was not holding on to the sufficiency of Christ and was entrusting in his own experiences and thoughts and words. This is the very Christ, again, let us not forget He's already been established as the head of the church in Colossians 1.18 where it says he is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. He's also the head of all rule and authority as we see in 2.10 and in him you have been made complete. He is the head over all rule and authority. Here we see that Christ is the head from whom the entire body, the joints, the ligaments, this is the church of Christ. Christ is where all spiritual growth comes from. Paul is defending the supremacy of Christ and the exalted view of him that this false teacher was clearly lacking. Christ alone is sufficient for our growth and anytime we seek to substitute Christ with the revelations of man, we discredit the sufficiency of Christ from which we alone obtain growth scripture in Christ cannot take second place to the words and teachings of men and where do we see this today we see this in the charismatic movement where where scripture is taking second place to the word of visions and revelations that any ordinary person may have And it's hard because uh, having some sort of contact with the spiritual world can be exciting. It can be exciting to be on some sort of exclusive content that's just you and God or some sort of new mystery and revelation that's been revealed only to you. So when someone seeks to claim a revelation from the Lord or a dream, we must measure it against the word of God which we have been given. We must guard and prepare ourselves for these people who are gonna come into our lives and seek to influence us. Who are gonna seek to lead us astray by this false teaching. And so the goal and aim for us is we must hold on to Christ. We must hold on to our prize and we must measure all things in the teachings of men to the word of God. If such a leader or teacher is found to contradict scripture or deny the sufficiency of Christ, we must be careful lest our prize be taken away. Thus we are brought to our final instruction. Instruction number three. Don't submit to man-made decrees found in verse 20 through 23. Uh, You you will note that this particular section here, Paul starts it with a question rather than a statement that he's done with the previous two points. Uh, And the question is this. If you have died with Christ, To the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. The question is if you have indeed died with Christ to the world and the elemental things of the world, why? as if we're living in the world, are we submitting ourselves to the decrees of men such as the do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? It's posed as a question because we should evaluate ourselves. Is this true of me? Am I holding on to the teachings of men or am I holding on to the teachings of Christ? Again, we should be submitting ourselves to the teachings and commandments of Christ as revealed through the word of God and not the teaching of men the things of this world that he was rebuking the church for holding on to these were things such as the do not handle do not taste do not touch this is the legalistic requirements that he was talking about in the previous verses this is the mystic mystical learnings of the visions and the dreams and the worship of angels and those things those things are all destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments of teachings of men as this verse states and the Paul the point Paul is making here Is that it's irrational for us to base our eternal spiritual destiny upon the use of these things that are so inherently temporal compared to the eternality of Christ? Again, I'm beating the bush, but we have to have a critical observance of those who teach. We have to measure whether their teaching comes from the scripture in Christ or whether it comes from something that man has created in and of themselves. It's a danger for the Colossians and it's a danger for us that, that we can be tempted to be led astray by some sort of false teachers. We must be teaching the word of God and the word of God alone and we must not be submitting ourselves to the decrees and thoughts of men outside of the word of God. Finally in verse 23 Paul continues his warning that these decrees can be deceiving and appears is the right thing even at times. It says, these are matters which to be sure have the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. The way of life and the teaching of a false teacher may seem full of wisdom. Here it it talks about that self-abasement and and severe treatment of body, a type of self-imposed discipline and abstinence from certain things. These things can be good things from us. Certainly discipline is necessary for the life of a believer and Christian. I was not saying that we don't have to worry about that. No, we still need to adhere to the word of God and, and for what it talks about regarding uh, purity and m- mortification of the flesh. And, and we, we need to make sure that we are abiding in truth in scripture and paying careful attention to it so that we might not fall into these sins. Yet, we must be reminded that these acts don't save us in the end. Just because you do or don't do something doesn't mean that you were saved. It's just another way of saying, Christ plus something else. Yet Christ alone is sufficient for our salvation. And, and Paul highlights that here by clarifying that that these acts at the end of the verse, they have no value against fleshly indulgence. They have no value in our fight against our sin. They have no value in our growth in Christ. If you are struggling with sin, it doesn't mean that we need to go live on the top of some secluded mountain by yourself and shut ourselves off from the world. This doesn't fix your problem truthfully. In fact, it opens up some new can of worms because at that point in time, you're not listening to the other commandments of God that talk about us needing to be a light unto the world, salt unto the world, to make disciples of the world. If you have sinned in some sort of heinous way and are feeling guilt and burden, the response should not be that I, I need to go have some sort of self severe treatment of myself and seclude myself in isolation as a form of punishment against me. That's not going to fix the problem. That is a low view of Christ, and that is a low view of God and his sufficiency for our salvation and deliverance and hope. Again, it goes back to this. The only words and teachings that have the power to set us free from our sin and found in the word of God. These are the words of teachings of God and Christ his son. We can't trade the teachings of Christ and God for the teachings of man. We can't hold man's teaching up, up alongside the teachings of God. Doing so brings Christ down. It discredits his sufficiency It makes him less than he should be. So in conclusion, we find ourselves desperately needing to hold fast to the sufficiency of Christ. There are going to be teachings of men that seek to make less of Christ by adding some sort of conditional requirement for salvation. There are going to be others who seek to earn their way to heaven through the legalistic regulations or seeking to substitute Christ with revelations and teachings of men. And we must be wary lest we fall away from the path and miss the life-changing work of Christ in our hearts that Christian was almost about to do had it not been for the grace of God and Mr. Evangelist. We must, as it states in Colossians 3.2, set our mind on the things of above And not on the things that are on earth that David is going to expound for us the next time we gather. So the question for you is what are you holding fast to? Are you holding fast to the principles and ideas and thoughts of men? Or are we pursuing a biblically based lifestyle that is scouring the word of God for wisdom and insight? This word of God which is useful for everything pertaining to life and godliness The moment we believe we need something else apart from Christ, it's the moment we find ourselves straying from the path. If if we are devourers of his word and if we are those who meditate upon his word day and night, it's gonna be hard for us to be deceived into believing some sort of false doctrine that's based on the teachings and commandments of men. Therefore, we must hold fast to the sufficiency of of Christ and the sufficiency of the word of God. Doing so will provide you with ample protection of those seeking to come alongside of you as to lead astray as Mr. Worldly Wise so led Christian away. We have been given a very specific and unique set of instructions. We have been told that we can have freedom from our burden through the cross of Christ and the cross of Christ alone. There are those out there that seek to deceive us and tell us that those are not true, that there's an alternative way, any other way leads to destruction in hell. We have been warned and the response should be that we love the word of God more, we hold fast to the word of God more, we hold looser to the teachings of men that are contrary or outside of scripture and we believe and trust in the sufficiency of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would give each of us here a stronger desire for your word and truth. May we seek to meditate and to dwell upon it and to seek to grow in understanding by your grace and by the Holy Spirit's help that we might be able to endure the false teaching and doctrines, Lord, that expound in our society and culture, that seek to make you out to be less than you are. May we love you May we love God and may we trust and hope in the sufficiency of Christ alone for our salvation and our deliverance from our sin. It's in your name we pray these things, amen.